Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. It's stage number two of Russ Nutting on Open Trailer Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Austin, and once again, along with 2002 Beechridge Motor Speedway Pro Series champion and main NASCAR champion a couple of times over, also current Russ Nutting customer, David Oliver, will join in on the conversation. We pick up with Russ in the second half of his career where he joins up and becomes a crucial member of Dale Shaw's crew in the Bush Grand National North. It's pretty incredible what they accomplished together. We have a story involving, well, seemingly Maine's favorite punching bag, Jeff Bodine, and uh, another angle of the infamous 1984 Oxford 250. We take a serious turn and talk about Russ's late wife, Darlene. She was a huge supporter and contributor to the early days of Maine Vintage Race Car Association, and we get into some of that, what Russ and her shared on a first date, which... Take a wild guess. As a racer, or a racer's wife, girlfriend, husband, boyfriend, whatever, you can probably relate. Hey, this podcast does benefit Main Vintage Race Car Association. Subscribe to us for less than $2 a month and help us preserve the history of racing in the state of Maine. You can also contribute to this podcast, specifically through Patreon, at patreon.com slash opentrailerpodcast. We have an initial round of decals coming out very soon. And if you are a Patreon member, or if you sign up in the next couple of weeks, you will have top priority on getting one. And again, completely uh, thankful for everybody's support this uh, this season. Russ has a ton of stories, and I don't want to waste any time, so let's get to him. Russ Nutting on Open Trailer Podcast. In the early 80s, uh, one person starts to become um, pretty, I wouldn't say famous, but he starts making some waves in the early 80s at Oxford, a youngster by the name of Dale Shaw. And you and he just kind of latch on to each other. Oh, we did. I knew, I knew Dave, uh, Dale a long time, ever since he was... Ever since he had a figure eight car that Willie Glidden drove, but you, he wasn't old enough to get in the pit then, and he went to charge your cars. And hmm. We always had you know, a pretty good relationship. What was, uh, what's the biggest piece of advice that he's asked, uh, asked you for? Oh, he asked me all kinds of things. Still to this day? <laughs> to this day. I bet you he does. And so you guys get together, and you go on the road too. And I don't just mean the road to the to the regular, you know, Oxford racetrack. You go your 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 star or your your career runs parallel with his star, which rises through the mid eighties in the uh, the NASCAR North Tour Act, you know, Bush North. Oh, we did some NASCAR North races together, like Jennerstown, Holland, New York. Hmm. We went to Nazareth, and you know, of course, Oxford and and Beechridge and. Loudon. So when uh, when you go out to Nazareth, 
they have the Bush South, Bush North combination races. And I'm not sure why that they had the Bush North in there because they were severely underfunded compared to, you know, your Tommy Houston's, your Jimmy Hensley's, Earnhardt was running his, uh, Walter was running their Bush teams out of that as well. But in a combination race at the now defunct Nazareth Speedway, you and Dale Shaw go there and you have quite a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we worked on the car quite a lot. They bought two sets of tires. For the whole race? For the for everything. What? For practice, qualifying, and the race? Everything, start to finish. 200 lap race. Right. Plus practice, qualifying, and Jeez. all that other stuff you yeah. do. Yeah. And he's never been there. He's never been there. Yeah. So <laughs> we get qualified, and we start the race on a, the best set of tires we had at the point time. First caution, Dale comes in. We'll put the other set on. Go back out, run some more. We did that all day. <laughs> <laughs> can you, Dave, can you imagine doing that? Uh, Nazareth was a mile track. No, that, that's absolutely unfathomable in today's world. It just right. does not happen. And that happened back in the late 80s. What were some of your favorite memories of uh, working with Dale in those Bush North days? Well, we had some favorite ones. We had some scary ones. Yeah. How, how did you keep Dale in line is a very good question. Wait a minute. I have a, I have a question regarding Dale. When he was a rookie in NASCAR North driving that 47 car, I watched him at Catamount flip about six times during a heat race. He came out in the feature in that car. Do you remember that day? No, I don't think I was there for that one. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> I want to know how that happened. But uh, you say some scary times. Scary time. Yeah. Jennerstown. So we go to Jennerstown. <clears throat> I think uh, for the second time. Been there once before. Did well, fair. I can't remember how we finished that time. But anyway, we're running the feature, and he's running second. And I'm up on top of the trailer with the radio. And we get like two or three laps of me in. I said, Dale, we got a good finish. Just hang on a second. Dale comes back. I can win this thing. <laughs> and this is 23, 24-year-old Dale Shaw. <clears throat> At Jennerstown, is a 5-8-mile track. It's pretty fast. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> there is a gap in the wall on the outside as you enter the one turn. Nasty gap in the wall. Those guys come in and out the racetrack there. <clears throat> so Dale, Jamie Obey's leading the thing, and Nick Lines is with him. And okay, so Dale gets up there sniffing on Obey's rear bumper. Oh, he gets on the outside. Okay, he's trying. That's one lap. They come off for turn four. Last lap. He blasts right up beside Obey. They get together, he gets sideways, he's headed right for that hole Oof. in the wall. The only thing I could think, oh, what am I going to tell his mother? Oh. <laughs> and what happened? He straightened that sucker out one race. Yes, he did. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> I love that story. That's so great. So, um, you know, you hit on the fact that uh, Dick Lyons was, uh, you know, crew and Jamie Obie, and I think that was the mountain racing team at that time. You had the Dale Shaw juggernaut that you were a part of, and then you had um, Quint Bovaire and Chuck Bown or Billy Clark, whoever was driving at that time, Curtis Markham. What were those days like? Because there were like, you know, we talk about super teams today in NASCAR. Those were three super teams, and Kelly Moore's team, too. You know, I mean, you got like four big Bush North teams going after it every single week. 
What was oh, that? Yeah. <coughs> Kelly and Dale, that was something else. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you're supposed to tell us a story now. <laughs> well, it, it'd probably be a laundry list of stories between, with yeah. Kelly and Dale. <laughs> One will be uh, suffice. <laughs> well, they, they couldn't seem to quite get along all the time. Mm. No matter what kind of a race it was, they, they would always get together somehow. Isn't it funny how drivers who just generally don't get along end up next to each other all the time? Every time. Whether you're running out back and, like, you're having a bad day, that other driver's having a bad day. If you're running up front, you're like, I got him smoked today. There's that other driver. Who was that driver for you? Who was the driver that you found yourself around the most that you were like, I can't stand this guy? Well, I I had a little problem running with Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, driving against Kelly. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, because of when he was coming up through the ranks at Oxford. When he was running Oxford. Yeah, what were those days like? Oh, we had a few... Little get togethers. <laughs> you want to talk about one of them? <laughs> I was always getting hanging and banging on each other. Mm. <clears throat> what was it? Did you did you think that Kelly, you know, because he was new and, and coming up through the ranks, eighty four Oxford Plains champion? Let's talk about those late model days because those epic early 80s, mid 80s, late model days at Oxford Plain Speedway with your Billy Clarks, your Leland Kangases, your your Mike Rose, your Russ Nuttings, your Kelly Moores, your George Babs. What were those days like? <clears throat> well, they were, they were competitive. Mm. When, you, uh, when you would win, I mean, was it the bigger sense of accomplishment uh, based on the people that you raced or was just a race a race? <clears throat> Oh, there's a spell there. When I was talking about all those guys, when mm. I was all racing together, and there was a spell there that I wasn't as great as I was <laughs> in earlier years. Mm. And, you know, we drove top fives or whatever, but I didn't win much then. That's all right. You were a part of the show. Part of the show. Another person who was part of the show, and let's stick with this era. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but I, I really want to hit on this story. It's one of the most epic moments in main racing history, I would say in the last 45, 50 years, the 1984 Oxford 250. Now, you were a part of a team that day, the uh, the day where Dick McCabe and Jeff Bodine um, had that run in on the backstretch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, was, what was your uh, point of view from that from that day? Well, I was in the infield watching, and I was getting all the news, and... and uh, Jeff and, and Dick, they'd had words, I guess, before. Dick had made it quite clear he didn't want any more of Jeff's foolishness. <laughs> <laughs> you're so less, you're, you're so censored now <laughs> when you have a microphone in front of you. <laughs> foolishness. I haven't heard that F word out of you all day. <laughs> so anyway, so they're racing. So and, they're racing. Yeah. So anyway, uh Jeff comes up behind Dick, entered in turn one, and he gives him one last whack. <laughs> she should have known better, but he didn't. We see radio to Robbie Crouch. So Dick, he radios in. And climbs with us, Robbie, then. So I guess they got together somehow. And he's, <laughs> Dick said, you, t- you tell Robbie to steer clear of this, because this is the lap that's going to happen. Yeah. Coming off of two, it happened. Bodine's in the back stretch wall. And boy, you think... I don't know if you were there that day, David. I was not. Uh, it made an impression on nine-year-old me. 
I mean, to the point where I remember it so clear as day. And how many things do I remember when I'm nine years old? Not many. I think that's probably the only one. Uh, that wasn't, and I'm bringing this Bodine story up. I mean, I know you weren't really a part of the story, and this podcast is about you, but you had your own run-ins with him <laughs> when you guys were uh, were in Florida. Oh, yes. Yeah, he, he drove Dick Bear's car there for a couple of years, and <clears throat> All the year before I went down, he he ran up over the uh, the photographer's mound there. Wow! <laughs> White ran over the photographer. <clears throat> so the year I went down, well, <clears throat> so we get in the garage area and he comes blowing in. Well, they want this, want that, and he's rattling off some of the stuff that I didn't think was going to work in the parking lot. So I'm trying to paint the picture here. You're This is before he even hits the track. He just That's walks right. in from his passenger vehicle and says, I want this change, this change, this change. One of the misconceptions about, no, I don't want to say misconception, but one of the reputations that Jeff Bodine has uh, is the northerner who wasn't fitting in with the southerners. And that's what he's always said. Well, they didn't like me because I was from New York. <laughs> that That's not the story that I'm getting from you. <laughs> he was kind of <laughs> difficult to deal with. He was. Yeah. So he wanted to change all these things on the race car. I thought I thought it was difficult. Well, yeah. I was probably diff- difficult to deal with, too. We, yeah, we, we, didn't all make are. A, we didn't make a good matchup at all. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what's he doing? He's uh, he's coming in making these demands, and, and nobody thinks they're going to work, but he's going to go do them anyway. What's the next memory? We didn't do the cast on Campbell like he wanted because it wasn't going to work anyway. Right. So <clears throat> the next little deal he had, he was out on a, on the racetrack, and he wanted to try these number two shocks. Well, they weren't going to work either, and he's bouncing all over the place. And you got Morgan Shepard kind of mad about him. Morgan said he was going to try to wreck them all. <laughs> Morgan Shepard, the most mild-mannered gentleman, in, well, one of the most mild-mannered gentlemen in, in NASCAR, right? fired exactly. up over Jeff Bodine. Fired up off Jeff Bodine. Wow. Oh, yeah, he was mad, too. Did you guys win that race? <laughs> Did we win it? Yes. Hell no. No, <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> Well, he made a mess of the truck looking for a spring. Yeah. I said, why didn't you just ask me for a spring instead of making this mess? Right. Well, okay, off he went. So we finally get in the, go- in the feature. They had that crash in the first lap or the second lap or something. About every car was in it. Well, he was in it right in the middle of it. Mm. Destroyed the car. He couldn't run it anymore. So we had to pick up that mess. And <laughs> he wasn't on my number one Christmas card list that right. year. But on your way back, you guys, uh, you make a very uh, infamous stop. At uh... Oh, yeah. We, we had stopped over to Junior Johnson's because Dick wanted to pick up a bunch of motor parts. Junior had been building motors for him. So we get the trailer loaded, overloaded with that. Okay, now we had a, yeah, we had a flat tire on the back going over there. In your, on your race hauler? On the race hauler. Okay. Inside tire, of course. Oh, geez. Naturally. So the tire that was in the spare... I was too small by probably four inches. I said to Richard, I said, that's not going to work. Oh, that'll be all right. Do you call Dick Bear Richard? Yeah, I always okay. call him Richard. Okay. <laughs> I've never heard anybody call him Richard I've called him Richard yeah. all the time. Wow. So we got in the habit. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we head for home. And Scotty Ames was with me that for that trip. So we headed up. I think we get up into Pennsylvania, Blue Tire. So now we got two flat tires. Boy. So <clears throat> found a truck stop, fixed the tire, and we were both getting pretty tired. So finally we got that fixed. We got on the road again. So then 
we get up the yeah we get up through New York and through Connecticut almost got stopped because we didn't have a fuel sticker <laughs> what <laughs> I don't know what that means you don't have a you don't have it's a fuel a, sticker that's it, a fuel sticker for for diesel fuel oh okay all right, all right. Yeah. okay I got a ticket for that jeez and uh so we recovered from that. <clears throat> we just started on the main turnpike. Along comes this guy. He's blowing his horn and flashing his lights. And what the hell's the matter with this guy? So I <laughs> tell Scotty, I rode along a little bit there. Scotty says, we better stop and see what ails this guy. So we stop. Well, the bumper broke on one side on the truck. We were just about to lose the trailer. He's <laughs> <laughs> some pro. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Unhook the trailer, go back to Portsmouth, find a place to weld the bumper back on. Right in the parking lot, like right at the uh, the Portsmouth traffic circle area? No, no, this was, we just started on the main turnpike. Right. Just just got oh, on. Oh, I the, thought you said you had to turn around and go back to Portsmouth. Oh, we had to get out back to Portsmouth, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, we found a welding shop there. I got the bumper fixed, got back, hooked the trailer up, and finally got home. That was the... The next day, first part of the afternoon. And this is, so you're coming back from Daytona if I'm... Oh, from, yeah. So this is February. Oh, yeah. So it's cold when you're welding. Well, kind of. Take the trailer and stuff over and go to, go to the office and hand Sharon a bunch of the tickets we got. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Boys, how was your trip? Here yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> One more episode. We've got to give up on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Hey, how about um, how about meeting Junior Johnson? And uh, you had a bit of a your team had a bit of a relationship with him as well. I uh, we first first met Junior over at Tom Pistone's. Junior had bought the Norris wheel deal when Norris went out of business, and he sold it to Tom after a while. So Tom hadn't paid him yet, so Junior came over to get his money. Tom owed him forty grand. I found out that day how much a coffee can would hold. Holds twenty. <laughs> <laughs> so it has two Hills Brothers coffee cans. One of the Hills Brothers, the I forget that. Maxwell, Maxwell House. House was it? Yeah. House. Of course, it's Maxwell House. <laughs> yes, it's amazing because that was his sponsor eventually. But Junior, I mean, we've had a few guests on the podcast who say Junior just treated them completely like gentlemen. He oh was, yeah, he was a great southern gentleman. Yeah, and when we when we went over to his place, there he, he was very nice. You know, he, he showed us through the place and everything. We did a lot of talking. I I like Junior. I actually did. Yeah. Did you go to the chicken coops? Was <laughs> no. that around there? No, oh, we didn't go to the chicken coops. No. <laughs> you continue to you know to race off and on throughout the years. Uh, what keeps you? What keeps your drive? At your eighty five now. Eighty five. Eighty five. And you last competed three years ago. Odds are that 69 ends up on the track this year. <laughs> no oh. answer. <laughs> we had an interesting deal going there at Hudson one time in mm. uh, 69, 1969. Mm. He's raced so long, he don't even remember. No. All the, they oh, I remember together. the deal again, but I can't remember the No, he remembers that he finished fifth in the first Getty Open. He yeah. remembers when his... When it was an Open <laughs> Open. He, was, he, he finished his first... He finished first in his first race. He remembers getting hit in the face with a pocketbook. <laughs> That's always a memorable <laughs> so, moment. They, they, the drivers do remember. 1999. Great year. Hudson Speedway. That was the second year I'd run the 60 car, which <laughs> was the Scotty Reach car. Mm-hmm. And we got it going really good. So the points were getting there, too. And a kid named Devin, uh, Kevin Brown there was racing. 
he was like 17 or 18 at the time. So we raced all year for the point championship. I was the oldest one. He was the youngest one. If he if he'd have won it, he'd have been the youngest to win the point championship. Wow! But I won it. <laughs> nice. Good for you. So you know you can close the century pretty strong with the championship. You can also open pretty well too. We're going down this list of opening day Beach Ridge winners, and I'm looking at the list, and you got uh, you got Dickie Garrett, Ralph Cusack, Cy Parlin. Ernie Gahan, Roger Shaw, Dick Walstenhume, Homer Drew, Dick McCabe, Gardner Levitt, Russ Nutting, May 11th, 1960, no, excuse me, May 13th, 1962. What was it about opening day at Beach Ridge back then? Well, that was the maiden voyage for that 111 cut-down car. Now, when you say cut-down car to someone like me who's not a mechanic um, or really mechanically inclined, what does that mean? Well, that's what we call those A-class cars then. They call them A-class at Beach Ridge. You call them cut-downs every place else. Okay. They were coupe bodies that were cut down, chopped, channeled, narrow, and whatever. And that that car was different in a lot of ways. They had torsion bars on all four wheels instead of cross springs like Ford did. I did a lot of different things on that car. And that was the first race that that car ran. So what made you want to do all those different things to the race car that you did? Just because. Really? Were they in the rule book? Oh, we. How thick was the rule book back then? All we had those little rule books, like... Yeah, three by five, four by six. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Four by six. What number was that car? 111. It was the 111, like you said. Where does the number 85 come into play? Well, the 85 car, was a, that was a bomber car that came from Yarmouth, which Wendell Boyle and two other guys owned, which I got to drive. Hmm. I drove it a lot. Actually, they wanted Phil Libby to drive it originally, and I was really good friends with Phil, and he said, you want to, want to ride in that car? Said, yep, I do. Did you get 40% that night? Oh, yeah, I always got 40%. Always got 40%. Always got 40%. That's amazing. And I... I I drove for him for a while, and then I wound up buying the car. Now, why was it the 85? Was that something that you chose, or was that something that the owners did? No, that's that's a number that they came up with. Does that have anything to do with Bobby Turner? <clears throat> I gave Bobby Turner his first ride and race car in that car. Really? See, Bobby kind of hijacked that 85. He became synonymous with the 85 for so many years. Um, there, Steve Levitt has the, the, the restored vehicle and, uh, you know, all the success at Beach Ridge and Stafford and everything. What were your first impressions of Bobby Turner? <clears throat> oh, he was a pretty good kid. He made models. A lot of kids made models of cars back then. So he was in the grandstands? Yes. And he was a Russ Nutting fan? Yes, he was. Wow. Well, then we had another 85 car, too, that belonged to his father, which I kind of came by. <coughs> his father had a car with with uh, Dick Allen. Bobby's dad. Bobby's father. Okay. And Dick Allen, he got in a mess at Beach Ridge and broke his leg. So he decided he didn't want no more racing. <coughs> and I was kind of friends with him. I said, what are you going to do with your race car? He said, you want that car? I said, yeah, the 38 Plymouth. <coughs> That's what I had, a 36 Plymouth, Dodge. And <coughs> he says, okay, he says, 
just go get it. You can have it. Okay. I went to get it. It was at Don Turner's. <laughs> well, Dick Allen didn't own it. Don Turner did. <laughs> <laughs> that's killer. That's amazing. Okay, that's, that's Bobby's father, Don Turner. See, we get talking, and the first 85 had given way to the 111 car, and then I drove Class A all the time. We still had the 85. Don says, well, <clears throat> how about if we run this car? We'll put 85 on this. When Bobby gets old enough, he can have this car. So we did that. Why? When did they get rid of the coupes? Well, they just got, they think, of outdated, maybe. Hmm. Coupes have changed to modifieds, and then the modifieds... Oh, the Cavalier bodies. We had a guy get killed in one down there, and so the modifieds went away. Yeah, and that was right around the time the uh, Main State Stock Car Racing Association uh, dissolved as well. Did you go to Claremont with a lot of those guys? Well, I was running Supers. Tell me about running a Super Modified. Well, I did that back in the when the Rundle started. I drove Super down there. Mm. I was driving a Super for a guy at Star, and then we went to some other places, Star, Hudson, <coughs> a couple other places. And uh, what was that like, that, that, that first just gas off a of turn two? <laughs> well... At Briar Motorsport Park, it was different. Wow. Yeah, because that's a bigger track. I mean, Briar predates uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway. It's 5.8 mile. Uh, and it was just, I mean, there's a, there's a swamp in the middle of it. Did, you, did anybody ever end up in the swamp? Oh, yeah. Uh, were you one of them? <laughs> no. No. He just casually says, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is every night. <clears throat> but, um, you know, so Briar Motorsport Park was a um, pretty interesting racetrack. What was it like to drive a super modified there? Well, it was different than Star and Hudson, Arundel, hmm. that's for sure. Yeah. And then there was a lump in the track where the road course came in. It was on the outside, and you were really getting after it. You could get air time there. Up in the air. Oh, yeah. In a super modified. Yeah. No, never lift. Never lift. And almost everybody lifted there because it's kind of a normal thing to do. I yeah. did it first, yeah. even on the inside. You get that lump, and so you just you lift a little bit. Well, I discovered that on the outside, if you like the airtime, okay, if you pass a car doing that, because <laughs> everybody else lifted. Yeah. <laughs> but you better be ready for turn three when it came down. Why? Well, I didn't want to go over turn three. There's a bunch of harness nests down there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How do we know this? Did someone get stung by hornets? <laughs> well, I didn't. Apparently somebody did. Wow. I never checked it out to make sure it was there. I took their word for it. <laughs> what was the worst wreck that you've ever been in? Well, Beach Ridge is kind of scary when I took a ride over the backstretch bank there because the car went end over end. It flew in the air pretty high. People tell me I could... From the grandstand, it was high as the light poles. Wow. But it came down nose first, and then it turned over on its back, and did another one come down tail first, and then landed right where you walked on the racetrack from the pit. It didn't do it a bunch of good. Did you wake up sore the next day? Yeah, quite. Did you ever break anything when you raced? I never barely broke. I broke my nose and my eye orbit bone. That happened at Oxford off of turn four. Mm. That was a high crash. I wanted in straight. What made that accident happen? Well, I was racing with Homer. He'd taken the Homer groove. <laughs> and I, I moved over a little bit to give him a little room. So I didn't want to crash. 
he hadn't run into me at that point. He didn't anyway. But so when I moved over, I, what I didn't know I was watching home. Uh, Landis Corona was on the outside, kind of back where I couldn't quite see him. Mm-hmm. And when we when we went through there, home and I was slowed just a little bit. Landis had to run. And back when we had steel bumpers, he got a bumper right inside my right front wheel, and I couldn't steer. And we both went off turn four and both hit the wall. So I have uh, David Oliver with me here. Is there anything you've ever wanted to ask Russ that you've never had a chance to? Uh, yeah, I come up here a lot to, again, just to you know, do, do business with him, honestly. And what is your best Russ Nutting story? I, I, I've been here for hours. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't I've never know. heard you at a loss for words. No, I, I Russ is the, the the one guy that uh, it's the been there done that. I mean, I it's a different story every time I come up from Dale Shaw stories to his own stuff from when he was racing like multiple times a week hmm. and basically making a living racing. Never mind like having a real job, but like taking paychecks to help pay the mortgage from from racing, which is unheard of in our era. Obviously that. Doesn't doesn't happen, right? Um, I, I, I am legitimately at a loss for words. Well, I, I I'll, I'll give you a chance to think about that for a second. But you did hit on something that was really important. You talk about uh, paying the mortgage, not having a real job. Russ has a shirt on. It says R and D Racing and Fabrication. And we talked about how this started to come into play in the in the early '60s. When did this business venture really take mm-hmm. off for you? I've always done some work for people. You know, little little jobs that I I could do like making exhaust pipes, uh, doing this and that. You say that. I think you you downplay it because everybody in the pits of the racetrack that I'm at, whether it's Beechridge, whether it's Oxford, Wiscasset, it's universally known that if you want your rear end done correctly, you <clears> come <throat> here to this shop. What is it about what you do that after 85 years of age, race cars change, parts change and everything, but you're still the guy. Is it following technology or is it just sticking to what works? Well, stuff seems to last pretty well. <laughs> yeah. There you go. His well, stuff works. He 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 knows what's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> Russ don't fall for trick of the week. He don't like trick of the week. What do you think about bump stops, Russ? <laughs> <laughs> he gets silent pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. You ready yet, David? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll he'll be blasting me here shortly. Yes, um, you know, and, and paying the mortgage. I mean, everybody has bills today. Everybody had bills back then. And bringing Darlene back into the story, what was her vocation? What was her part? What was her job in the in the sixties when you were doing this? Well, she always helped on the race car. Some, hmm. oh, she'd clean it and what? Oh, sure, everything looked good. She was always part of it at the racetrack, even when she couldn't get in the pit area. And I remember back when the women in the pits were a big deal. Says one year, he said, "Well, I got to we got to get you out of the grandstand and get you in the pit so you can, you know, so mm. I'll have somebody there." We'd already decided we had too much help and we'd get rid of some of them anyway. They always had conflicts. So this one was that that one's wife would be pissed off and you know, Jeez, things boy. like that. Sounds <laughs> like a conversation from two thousand twenty two. Personality conflicts and yeah. all that. So we was kinda of doing this by ourselves. So I asked Dick Barrett one day, Richard, <laughs> I said, Richard. What do we gotta do to get Darlene in the pit? He thought it over, and he went and asked Bob. He says, well, I guess the deal is if you buy all the tires you're going to need for the year, 
she can come in. What year is this? It was like doing a business. Oh, this was in the 70s. So, okay. I saved up money all year. <laughs> so I think we was going to spend like 1700 bucks. Saved the money all year. So we got to start the year off again. I'm up here to buy tires. Well, he said, you ain't got to do that anymore. Somebody sued us on our own set. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so you had money in the bank. <laughs> yeah. You know, the fact that you saved all winter, you saved all year to buy those tires so that she could be a part of your team means that she was a, an Im, 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 immeasurable uh, contribution, contributor, talent to your team. How did you guys meet anyway? Because it seems like you guys were always together. <laughs> Well, we met over at Woody's. We were building a race car. Woody Woodman. Woody Woodman. Yep. Okay, so Lebanon. Wilbur. 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 Yes. <laughs> and uh, I was working on a race car, and she'd come over there with somebody else. She's sitting on this stool, raising hell and painting people's heels. <laughs> heels? <laughs> yeah. It seems like a weird talent. <laughs> so you're working you mean on nails or heels? <laughs> yeah. But, she, but you, she hooked you right away, huh? Well, not right away, no. Did you have a girlfriend at the time? No, I was divorced. I was single at the time. Okay. And uh, I didn't really like her that day. No? <laughs> she's well, she's a, getting in the way of the race car. She's, she's being a smart ass. Yeah. I, I was busy working on a race car. I was thinking about, not thinking about girls and stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so anyway, it went on. That went on for another couple of years before we finally got together. Really? Do you remember your first date? Yep. What was that? Arundel Speedway. Arundel Speedway. Did Shocker. You, did you win? I think so. Yeah, there you go. See? Laying it on. See? Yes. She falls in love immediately. Jeez, I think great. that was the day we we took two cars. Because hmm. I built that Chevy 2. Oh, that was, that was 57 Plymouth. Oh, shoot. No, no, it wasn't. 57 Chevy that I built for Street Stock just to run Arundel. And we built one the year before for Michael Bryan for Beechridge because it looked like the B class was going to go to late model bodies, get rid of the coupe bodies that were going to be filtered out. So, well, let's get ahead of the curve. So his car had a six cylinder in it, which was legal for Beechridge. My car had a V8, which was legal for Arundel. So we haul them both down there, one on the back of the car hauler and the, the other one on a trailer. So we get ready for to do the heat races and Mike's guy Mike gets called for the heat race where's Mike they're going to the beer store hmm. well okay car's sitting there heat race is waiting <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> right oh, so you get in the car I get in it okay yeah so I take his car and I win the heat race next heat race is mine yeah. I get in my car I win the heat race did the officials know about this oh yeah okay you no could, big deal you could do that okay not a big deal we could do that so now, I hope to get back from the beer store because I can't drive two cars to yeah. feature. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. The beer store comes up in your first date story, too. Yeah. but So she was there. So that guy won that race, too. Yeah, it did. That, that one started winning right out of the box. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, and and um, you know she's passed nine nine years ago. Um, some of your favorite memories of, of her at the racetrack? Do you have a few that stick out? Oh, I got a lot of memories. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> well, Russ, I you know I, I really do appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day. You have a vibrant race shop here in in Limerick. 
Um, you got a lot of things going on. You're 85. Are, do, what, are you, do you have any plans to slow down? <laughs> I'll probably keep doing rear ends. Yeah, why not? You got yeah, customers. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. So whoever Dave races next year will be will be great. <laughs> uh, out of your favorite numbers, or excuse me, out of your numbers, out of your 30 different numbers, can you name five of them? Oh, yeah, 111, 17, 6, let's see, 25, 26, 27, 28. There you go. You had the whole 20s, the roaring 20s. Do you have pictures of, how many uh, pictures do you have of you in each number? Do you, you could do a whole photo album of that. Well, quite a few, but Mm. some of them I don't have. What was the best car you ever drove? Oh, I've driven some good ones. I think one of the one of the neatest cars I ever drove was a Snap Six. Hmm. What was uh, what was the one race that you wish you could get back? You drove home that night. You replayed the whole race in your head. You did that for the whole few weeks. You might still do it today. Was there one race that sticks out in your head that you're like, I want that back? No, I can't think of one right offhand. No. Do you remember the little Chevy 2 that was so good at Oxford? Do you remember what that would run for lap times, give or take? I mean, was 16-0 a good number? or I mean, I, What did they run for lap times? I was the first, that was the first car to break 17. Okay, yep. 17 was a good time yep. at that point. We got under 17. But Russ, how did you get under seventeen? Hard work and diligence. Okay, I didn't know if there was a certain way around Oxford that we need to know about that we still you, haven't got really to. You were really trying to get there. I am. <laughs> you were really trying. Now, no, yeah. not Oxford, but um, I went to a pass. I believe it was a pass race at Star. Russ was a tech man at the time, obviously, and but it was a pass race, so I went out and practiced. Did my thing, whatever. Couldn't figure it out. I had never been to Star before. Hmm. Russ came over, and in the deck lid of my car has got dust on it. He draws a circle in the in the deck lid of my car, and so, and then draws how I'm getting around the racetrack. This is what you're doing. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. Wow. And he draws another line. This is what you should be doing. <laughs> the next practice, and it has never happened. I went out, and it was like literally like a tenth and a half faster on a stopwatch just by doing exactly what he told me to do. Blind faith, blind faith, and rust nutting. Well, I worked on cars a lot because you're never never satisfied. Hmm. The Eddie James car, which was another one eleven, which belonged to Eddie James, and it was built by Eddie and Stan Meserve. They did it over the Steve Levitt shop. Eddie James and I, we always talk. Technical stuff, always, always. And he and Stan and me get in an argument and party company. Well, the motor was Stan's and and uh, the car was Eddie's. So I had driven Eddie's cars before, time to time. He calls me up. He says, you want to drive? I says, yeah. He says, well, come up for the motor. Okay. So we'd run 302s a lot. So we had parts there. I could make a 306. So I put that junk together and put it in Eddie's car. We ran a 250 with it. I got some Ed House green paint on it, too. I was kind of proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We was faster than Ed Howe. Wow. 
we had a wiring problem anyway. <clears throat> so it didn't finish the race. One of my other 250s so didn't finish yeah. for various reasons. We got a, we got another motor built. Goodwin built us a motor. Goodwin Hannaford. Yep. Yeah. Plum Potter paid for it. And that we turned 16 to so that car. Easy. What year was this? 80? That was in the 80s. Yeah. What's your proudest moment in racing out of everything? When I paid the loan back. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Pocketed the money, paid the bank off. That is amazing. Russ, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Um, and I do appreciate your time more than you know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. want to thank russ for being very generous with his time he took an entire afternoon to i would say sit with us but he didn't sit down he stood up and then i felt weird and so did david so we stood up too and i'm, I'm pretty sure that both myself and david were more sore than russ the next day anyway on to the next episode where we meet the first driver to go into the main motorsports hall of fame as a drag racer and man this guy is a legend if even if you're not a drag racing fan you're gonna love the story the history the plain spoken how it was story of triumph of mr lomer pelletier you didn't have a garage didn't have any money for it and you had to i was rebuilding six cylinder chevrolet motors for a hundred dollars I was making $50 by doing them, mm-hmm. and I was doing one a day, because those were like 12, 14-hour days. And when it got so it snowed so bad, I went to a uh, shop next where they sold refrigerators and appliances, and I took all their cardboard boxes, and I taped them, and I made a garage out of cardboard box so I could work under the... The instigator, stage number one of two, next time out on Open Trailer Podcast. I'm Andy Austin. Talk to you soon.